a stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. and welcome to the Loudmouth Project's Voices of Reason. I'm Jason Lee, along with Amy Donaldson. On this episode, we're joined by Sui Lang Pinoke. She is a Senior Vice President for Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion at Utah-based Zions Bank, and she has an amazing story, and I uh, had a chance to speak with her and, and kind of get introduced to her on a story I was doing regarding diversity in the workplace. And uh, But I, before we get into that, I want to have Sui Lang, could you do me a favor and, and kind of tell us about you and and your background and, and how you came to uh, be in this position uh, as the uh, DEI, I guess, advocate for uh, Zions Bank. <laughs> well, thank you, Jason, so much for the invitation to join you in this conversation. Um, and I, I, I'm uh, like floored that you actually find my story interesting. <laughs> no, fascinating um, I, is I, the word I would use. I really appreciate that. Uh, so I guess a little bit about my background. I'm originally from the beautiful islands of Hawaii. So I was born in Honolulu, raised here in Salt Lake City, um, and living a, a, as a woman of color, being raised in a place like Salt Lake City, Utah, um, you it, it's very eye-opening, um, you know, being surrounded by white people um, and primarily operating. I, I developed a passion for politics early on. Um, just recognizing the disparities that existed amongst women, people of color, and young people in the political arena. Um, and I studied political science at the University of Utah, where I oftentimes describe that experience as single-handedly representing the woman, the minority, the progressive point of view in all my political science classes. Um, but I also, one of the, the greatest benefits that I received from that experience was I had a lot of older white men, conservative and progressive, invest heavily in my development, um, serving as mentors, as professors, um, colleagues, and friends. And that really helped kind of shape and form uh, my ideology, uh, perspectives, uh, self-image, um, and, and view of the world, right, as I continued uh, pursuit of my career. Uh, so I studied political science there at University of Utah, then moved back east to Washington, D.C. for grad school. Uh, where I lived on Capitol Hill for 13 years. I studied at American University's Women in Politics Institute. Um, and so the majority of my work in the diversity, equity, and inclusion space has been in the political arena, getting more women, people of color, and young people uh, elected to public office and engaging in the political process. And so I moved back to Utah about, I would say, three and a half years ago, um, and I had no plan. Uh, it was for personal reasons um, uh, for my daughter. She wanted to do her high school education here. And I found myself doing a lot of diversity, equity, inclusion work in the corporate arena. And it was very interesting um, coming back as a, an adult and as a professional, uh, being raised here in a place like Utah, then experiencing uh, the, the breadth and depth of diversity that exists in a place like Washington, D.C., 
and then coming back to the beehive state. Uh, it was very eye-opening um, in doing uh, this work. Um, what I appreciate about the beehive state right now is there's a high need for diversity, equity, inclusion work. Um, and simply because of the demographics that exist here, uh, right? But I see a, a strong desire to learn, a strong desire to listen and learn and lead in very mindful um, and inclusive ways. Uh, I, I will admit I was kind of dragging my feet coming back to Utah three and a half years ago. But as I opened up my mind uh, to embracing a state like Utah, um, building connections, establishing relationships, seeking opportunities to grow and to serve, right? Our local communities and local leaders here. Um, I've cr quickly began to feel like, like home again, you know, and I have three homes. Hawaii is one of them. Utah is one of them. And Washington DC is the third. And, and as vastly different as those regions and areas of our country are, um, if someone like me can feel like home in those different areas, um, we can each build a home no matter where we are, right? And when I use that term home, I mean that sense of belonging, that sense of safety, of trust that surrounds us. And so no matter where we are, no matter uh, where we live, what community, no matter where we work, right? Because oftentimes our jobs are our homes, uh, for significant periods of time in our lives, uh, we it, it's up to us to build that sense of identity, um, adapting, being flexible, finding ways to align our values with the organization's values, um, things like that. And, and so these are a lot of lessons that I have learned over the years um, uh, in doing this work. And it really is deep work and it starts at the individual level um, and what helps is exposure, exposure, exposure. And I cannot say that enough. And so that's one thing I feel is of high need here in Utah is exposure. You know, people mean well, they don't mean to offend. They don't mean to be ignorant, um, you know, and not in a negative way. They just simply have not been exposed to something different. And so when you don't have that exposure, it tends to, to lead to, to fear of, or, uh, you, you know, pe people are always a little hesitant with the unfamiliar. And so I see a lot of my role um, here in the community and especially in this new role here at Science Bank is to provide that exposure to people. Interesting. I, yeah, it, it, it really is. And I guess you, when you talk about this work, would you just drill down a little bit on that, um, the idea of work? Because I think one of the things that we all have to get more comfortable with is this idea that we all have, um, you know, in, innate and, and sometimes chosen biases and prejudices. And it's our responsibility to to understand those better so that we don't make people uncomfortable, even unintentionally. And so I just wondered if you could just go a little bit on and that. I'm also in, yeah. really fascinated with why a bank? Why finance? Like, what is it about that that was attractive? So to the work, Amy, thank you for that question. Um, this work, okay, so when you hear the term diversity training, right? Um, it's people training. And I think, and so when, when we kind of take that lens and that approach, it becomes more of an inclusive, all-encompassing 
thing. And, and this is the work that we're talking about, right? Um, it's learning how to effectively engage, communicate, build trust with different types of people. And no matter what group of people you bring together, there is going to be diversity. That is in, innate in who we are. It's focused on our differences. Um, the key piece in, in learning how to bring people together uh, is creating that inclusive culture where people from a wide range of diverse backgrounds can come together um, and feel safe and build trust across differences um, and, and all of that. So the, this work is really, and it starts with self, it, it's, it's internal, uh, it's deeply emotional, it's deeply personal, um, and, and it's difficult. It's not easy. You don't just take one diversity training and boom, you are now an expert. This is a lifelong learning process. And, and I always hesitate calling myself an expert on anything because when I step into that room, if I'm leading a learning experience or facilitating a conversation, I am learning right along with everyone else at the table. And so it's very important to, to, to step into this work it, with humility right? And a willingness to listen. Um, the way that I structure a lot of my learning experiences, I listen, I learn, and then I lead. Um, and it's very important to, to, to move forward in this work in that progression, right? Uh, to your question about the role of banks and financial institutions. Real quick, can we come back support? to that? I, I want to... Uh... Sure. In this segment, not going too far, but we'll we'll start with that with the role of uh, financial institutions, and and also okay. I would like to talk about the strategies you think could actually make this happen in a way that be, could be productive. We're having a, a discussion today with Sui Lang, uh, Sui Sui Lang Pinoke, and she is the senior vice president of diversity, equity, and inclusion for Utah-based Zions Bank, and hopefully she'll explain how how we can have more inclusive, more diverse workplaces that just make everything more productive and certainly uh, provides uh, an experience for people that can be positive in the workplace. You're listening to Voices of Reason. A gun in the face. Then all of a sudden they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Loudmouth Project's Voices of Reason. I'm Jason Lee along with Amy Donaldson. Speaking today with Sui Lang. Uh, Pinoke, she is the Senior Vice President for Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion at uh, Utah-based Zions Bank. And, you know, as we were ending the last segment, Sui Lang, you mentioned that, um, you know, what is the role of, of how did you get to be in, in, in the case of um, this new job uh, at, at a, in the financial uh, industry and in, in, uh, at a bank, which generally speaking would consider be considered one of the more conservative work environments uh, in our just 
entire business industry. Thank you so much, Jason. And I, I, Jason, for the question, I want to start off by saying um, I am not the person that you want to come to uh, to invest your money. <laughs> so it, it is kind of yeah, but you know the people that, who that I, I work know for to invest my money. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Um, and so I, I'm not that person, but I do know how to invest in people. And, and so with that said, I don't have a financial services background, but I absolutely believe this is exactly where someone like me needs to be at this particular point in time. Now, I want to reference a podcast. Uh, no, it was actually an interview on The Breakfast Club. Um, they interviewed Byron Allen. Um, I don't know if you guys are familiar uh, yeah. with Byron well, Allen. How about but Byron Allen uh, just blowing right. up his career and becoming one of the best uh, media executives and most successful in the country. Exactly. Uh, he's kind of big time, big time. Yes, he is. I'm a huge fan. Uh, he started out so, as a stand-up comic, by the way. <laughs> he did. Yes. He did. And I believe comedians today, Jason, are the most trusted leaders in America. So many times. Um, that's right. Thank you, George exactly. Car- so thank you, many George of Carlin, them and, uh, you know, move on to be do such phenomenal, incredible things. That's right. um, and, and so he is a creative at heart. Uh, but my heart goes out to Byron Allen. He was describing a conversation that he had with Greta Scott King, and he had purchased the rights to her story, which hopefully he will be developing uh, a movie or a series around that soon. Um, and he was talking of they were talking about how to achieve true equality here in America, and they described four pillars. Number one was end slavery. Number two was end Jim Crow. Number three was achieve civil rights, which we started in the 60s, uh, and I, I'm sure we will continue to do and fight for those civil rights uh, throughout the rest of America's livelihood. And number four, the fourth and final chapter was economic inclusion. Now, with that said, I also referenced Dr. Martin Luther King's most, and I think it was the most powerful speech he ever made called The Other America, right? And it was delivered after his March on Washington or that I have a dream speech. Uh, and sadly, it's it's the one that most Americans are unfamiliar with. But what he was doing in that speech was fighting for economic equality. And he was going to deliver, it was the Poor People's March, he was going to deliver right. uh, over a quarter of a million pe- poor people to the nation's capital. And guess what? Overwhelming majority of them were white. And so he was his fight, his legacy, represents much more than that racial... Um, justice lens. It was economic justice. And if you look at the history of America uh, since the beginning, 400 years ago, as we have progressed as a society in terms of social justice, oftentimes it was the economic bottom line that pushed us there, right? So as a capitalist society, the economy is generally money, right? Is generally what moves people, what moves legislation, what shifts culture and ultimately, uh, we'll, we'll move the needle on, on this social, racial, uh, economic justice a, as well in achieving true equality. And so I see a, there's a critical role that banks and financial institutions play in this big picture. So to see a bank, especially like Zions, and as you mentioned, Jason, one of the most conservative banks in the country, invest so heavily in diversity, equity, inclusion is a game changer. And I can, to myself, attest that, and I was literally on my way back to Washington um, when the recruiters reached out to me uh, about this opportunity. And I think it's important to note that as well. I I didn't apply for this role. They found me because of the work that I was doing in the community, um, because of 
references, references from other community leaders who had seen the type of work that I was doing. It is bold for a place like Utah. Um, and that's always my approach uh, when doing this work. I want, I, I'm all about doing something that has never been done before. Right. And doing yeah. something that is going to turn, whether it be racism or sexism, turn it mm -hmm. on its head and, and get to those hard conversations. Those are the only conversations I want to have. I, I, I describe myself as like a give it to you straight type of personality. Um, and it's refreshing. Um, back east in areas like back east, it's the kind of the norm here in Utah. Um, it, it can frighten people. <laughs> it can make people very uncomfortable. Um, but at the same time, I'm also feeling people are waiting for that. You know, they are hungry to get to the root of the issues and, and start to do the work. So I've been very thrilled to see that. Can I ask happening. you the, what you saw in their organization? Cause they reached out to you. You didn't, and you said you, you're not really a finance uh, person. Um, what was it about their structure or that opportunity? Cause sometimes those roles can be really, um, unattractive because they're sort of, um, I feel like they, they put them out there as a way to shield themselves from, you know, a past, you know, a history of not being inclusive or, um, I mean, they, they're, some of these positions for diversity inclusion, um, are, are almost set up to fail. So what was it about mm -hmm. their structure or that opportunity that you thought, oh, I can actually make a difference. Like I am this is going to yeah, be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, great question. Agreed, agreed. And I believe what you're describing is what we call performative uh, <laughs> measures that, that really don't yeah. work, right? Mm -hmm. I, I can absolutely attest to Zion's bank mm -hmm. is not uh, following that plan. <laughs> uh, they are literally coming to the table with sincerity. Uh, they are genuine in their ask. Uh, in their approach. They're very mindful and thoughtful about this work. Um, and the, the biggest difference, Amy, is the leadership is fully committed. Mm -hmm. um, that first meeting with Scott Anderson, I basically knew. Scott you Anderson know, is the is, chairman and uh, president of uh, Zions Bank. He's the president and CEO of Zions CEO, Bank. Yes. Um, yeah. And he is a, truly a unicorn. You know, um, there, there, <laughs> yeah. there's something that I describe. And as a woman of color, I don't know, Amy, if you've experienced this, but uh, when you engage with men, there's something that I describe is like they see me, they'll either see me as an equal or mm -hmm. they see me as being inferior. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I have experienced both simply because of the arena that I'm, I'm traditionally oper operating in, which is politics. And so yeah. I'm constantly surrounded by white men, even in my faith community here living in Utah, there are yeah. white men that surround me. And so I've experienced both. Mm -hmm. Every white man that I've engaged with here at Zions Bank saw, sees me as their equal, including Scott Anderson. And I felt it. I knew it. it it's one of those unspoken understand is, is the spirit is the energy that exists in that oh, yeah. interaction. It's definitely, right? it's definitely something you feel. I spent you, 20 yes, years yes. in sports. I'm not a woman of color, but as a woman, the, the whole yes. gender thing is a different dynamic, right? So absolutely. But, but yeah, absolutely. you know, right away that, Oh, this person, if they, talking if to they respect they, you, if they, yeah, see, or they yeah. trust you, you know, mm -hmm. it almost instantly, Immediately. right? Yes. And yep. that is how I have felt here working with leadership. Um, in addition to that, they, restructured this position to where I report directly to Scott. Oh, and perfect. that is abs that, and That's that so was literally right. Yeah. It was part of my negotiations because mm -hmm. I knew I wouldn't be able to do what is required 
to shift culture here if I didn't have that. I had to have a direct line to the number one. So that is absolutely essential for any organization. If they're serious about investing in DEI work, and really it's investing in people, investing in your human capital. Um, the tagline that I use uh, here at Zions Bank is building economic inclusion by opening opportunity increasing access and investing our capital. And when I say capital, I mean human capital, social capital, and financial capital. Money alone is not going to fix the problem here in America, right? It's the relationships. Oftentimes, social capital is much more valuable than the financial capital. I want to jump in here um, in the human quick, capital, I, that's, that's the people. I need us to uh, kind of close this up. But we want to, when we come back, I also want to ask you about the role of the media in DEI, just to get a sense of how, uh, what role we play and either in uh, helping or hurting. (laughs) (laughs) Just a a small role. We're speaking today with Sui Lang Pinoke. She is the Senior Vice President of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion for Utah-based Zions Bank. And we're having this discussion that's kind of broad, but how do we change the landscape in business and in our workplaces around this country? She's Amy. I'm Jason. This is Voices of Reason. We are back with Loudmouth Project's Voices of Reason, along with Amy Donaldson. I'm Jason Lee. This episode, we're joined by Sui Lang Pinoke. She is the Senior Vice President for Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion for Zions Bank here in Utah. And, uh, you know, I wanted to ask you a little bit about is what role does the media play in this effort to develop uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion, not just in the workplace, but just kind of all over, because... Uh, mm-hmm. it cha- it's a societal and a social change, right? Uh, absolutely, Jason. Uh, the role of the media is critical and essential. I mean, it's it referred to as the fourth estate, right, in any society. Um, and it's important that, you know, the images, the messages, the programming that is displayed through the media, how, it's, it's important to understand the influence that they have on our minds, right? Uh, The media plays a critical role in in shifting culture and mindset. Mm -hmm. And working for so many years in Washington, you you see the correlation between the political arena and the media, right? The more diversity we see in political leadership, and that has essentially been my passion uh, for the past 20 years, diversifying political leadership and democratizing the media landscape uh, because they go hand in hand. Right. Oftentimes the media will cover stories on leaders, right? Mm -hmm. People who are doing big things, uh, who are uh, operating in that upper echelon of power circles, if you will. Um, But the overwhelming majority of Americans, if we want to be informed about what's and, and provide an equitable right picture of what America actually looks like, we should be covering stories at all levels of society. Um, In addition to that, the media has power. And I've even said this in one of my trainings, the media has the power to elect our next president. (laughs) Yeah. And people could easily argue that one side or the other. Yeah. But I mean, I think, I think that one of the things I noticed, I used to, when I first started 28 years ago in, at the Deseret News, um, 
I mm-hmm. um, asked them if I could do uh, what, what at the time was called minority issues. I said, I just feel like I had taken minority studies in college and I felt like we needed to actually talk about these issues in our newsroom. And mm-hmm. I found that before Jason got there, nobody really wanted to chat with me about them. So um, I, mm. but I uh, remember bringing speakers in and learning. And one of the things I learned right off the bat was um, stop doing stories about uh, the first black banker or bank manager mm, my gosh, and do yes, a, and, and when you're doing a story about finance, call a, a person of color to be the expert on that subject. That's yeah, the difference. Is that then over yes. time we begin to see people of color as authorities across on issues. Sectors, across yes. Se- yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah. And I just wondered about like, do you see that? I, that's 30 years ago. Are we getting mm-hmm. any better? <laughs> oh, I think we're absolutely getting better. Um, and diversifying, you know, who has the microphone? Um, that that is, I mean, that's power right there, right? And I I believe, okay, the 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 wave of social media, the role social media and providing platforms through technology, mm-hmm. right, for anyone, right? Oftentimes, the media there were gatekeepers involved, right? The people in positions of power, you had to have capital, you had to have. Uh, connections, you know, that social capital was really critical to get into any of these, any of the outlets. So I'm talking about traditional media. But now that we have social media, where basically anyone could just create their own platform, we are really starting to see the move, the needle move in terms of diversity in the media. And that is so critical because oftentimes when those gates are closed to people, uh, people of color or in lower socioeconomic levels within a society, there are other people telling their stories. Mm. And that is highly problematic. What is most uh, valuable in a society is allowing people to tell their own story. Mm -hmm. That is why diversifying the media is so critical. Isn't that amazing to me that they, they would be presumptuous enough to tell somebody else's story? And I, I think, yes. uh, especially when you're the majority <laughs> culture in, as America has been all these years, you know, mm-hmm. they, they, they feel as though they, they're empowered to do that or entitled to do it. Whereas mm-hmm. when you see images, you often, you could, you could see images of uh, the majority playing uh, an ethnicity that, that doesn't apply to them. Uh, but here's know, the thing. I think, Jason, I've been, I do this. I did it just during the pandemic when I went down to the Navajo Nation mm. and covered the outbreak on the Navajo Nation. I'm a white person. Mm. And I, I I tried really hard this, this there, I've had evolution over my career, but to ask them how they wanted to frame this story or frame their, what they were telling me, because um, I don't live there. I leave the reservation. I come back up to Salt Lake and go to my house and live my white life. So it is, I think because we don't have diversity in the media, we have no choice. Like if we, like I did a story on black moms and I really think it was one of the best things I wrote last year, but I'm not a black mom, but it was their fear and their anxiety. But you love black women, which I give you a lot of credit for. I know, but I mean, but I'm still not them. You know what I mean? Like how great would it be if there was a black woman on our staff who could do that story, who lived that life, who knew that fear, you know what I mean? I mean, you know, it would have been so as good as mine was, it would have been that much more authentic and real, but that's our problem. If we don't diversify the media, which I've been, and you have as well, Jason's a huge advocate. We've been harping on this forever. It's not enough to do what I do it to, to be, to love them and, and to try to understand and be as, 
as deferential as I can be, it's not the same. And that's what mm -hmm. we in the media just don't seem to get. And I, I think it is better, but it's, I, I see us having a hard time retaining women of people of, of color in the newsroom. And it just, it sometimes does depress me. <laughs> so we yeah, like, yeah. With only, no, we have about two minutes to go. I wanted to get, uh, mm -hmm. kind of have you follow up on that. What, what do we do to change that dynamic? Well, I was just saying, I really appreciate um, that you, your perspective on that and you acknowledging that, Amy, as a white woman, right? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And the, the, uh, in addition to what you shared, it's just important to have a diversity of lenses, yeah. right? Yeah. And there's one thing to have like a per like a perception uh, on something that, uh, and there okay, there's one thing to have an opinion on something. There's another thing to have experienced it. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. okay, I've studied racism or I've studied sexism in, in college. Right. That's one thing. But to actually experience racism in the workplace and sexism in the workplace um, or mm -hmm. in higher education or whatever avenue. Yeah. It brings yeah. A, a deeper level of understanding um, of uh, of just, I mean, wokeness, you know, to, <laughs> to use yeah. these common terms mm -hmm. yeah. that we use that that is going to shape the narrative of the story. Mm -hmm. Um, also gives authenticity and credibility to the journalist uh, with those particular communities, right? And and I'm just using your example of a black woman, right? As mm -hmm. if it were her interviewing another black woman, right? On a black woman's mm -hmm. experience growing yes. up in Southern Utah. Like yeah. that is yeah. a, going to just have a completely different level of impact, yeah. uh, nuance and, and color to it than mm -hmm. if you were to do it. And it's nothing against your talent no. or yeah. ability. I, I think that's right? my mistake is thinking that somehow I have my own experiences I can write about that I feel exactly. I've lived, you know, but I, I think And so that's, that's part, yeah. that's part of what's going to move the needle though, yeah. is women like you, other journalists like you acknowledging their role in the bigger mm -hmm. picture and giving the microphone to someone who may not have the opportunities or platforms that you've had access to. And I know we're tight on time, That's but I want to say it. that as long as women are disadvantaged in media, which I feel they are, I think we mm -hmm. women are going to not, we're not going to help each other as much or in the ways that we should to make this happen. So when My we come opinion. back. Well, and going back to, well, real quickly, going back to social media though, that's why women mm -hmm. are blowing up on social media. <laughs> yes. <true>. Literally. <laughs> Thank goodness they, they have another avenue. It. That's right. Yeah. yeah because they don't, they don't have, <laughs> there are no gatekeepers. There are no yeah. gatekeepers. Right. So when the doors are open, Right, they yeah. have access. They're gonna kill it. Yeah. So when we come back, I want to talk to because uh, Amy mentioned this. Why is it so hard for white-run organizations to recruit and retain minority employees? And hopefully, we kind of make some uh, just get get an understanding of that. We're speaking today with Sui Lang Pinoke. She is the senior vice president for diversity, equity, and inclusion at Utah's Zions Bank. She's Amy. I'm Jason. You're listening to Voices of Reason. back with the Loudmouth Project's Voices of Reason. I'm Jason Lee, along with Amy Donaldson, speaking today with Sui Lang Pinoke. She is the Senior Vice President for Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion at uh, Utah-based Zions Bank. Uh, it's actually a publicly traded company and one of the larger banks uh, in our area. It's a very large regional bank. And uh, we wanted to ask you, going into this uh, segment, you know, we, we, we don't see enough diversity in, in so many areas of, of, of business, particularly uh, whether it's in media or, or in banking or in financial services, 
Why is it so hard for, uh, generally speaking, white-run organizations to recruit and retain minority employees? Oh, I really wish I had a, a short answer for you on that one, Jason. You got about eight <laughs> minutes. Uh, but... <laughs> Um, the, the, Thirty this seconds. Is a great question, <laughs> and, and, and I think it's a question that you guys are so generous. Uh, it's a question that all companies are asking themselves right now, right? Um, what I want to say, okay, so there's diversity uh, recruitment, and then there's creating an inclusive culture in your organization. I will say, and, and I can confidently say this: um, I've been in this role two months now, just over two months. Zion's Bank is one of the most inclusive cultures corporate cultures that I have ever experienced. So I want the focus to really be on trust, value, high performance, and growth. If any organization can create that type of culture, you are going to naturally attract a, a whole host of, of people from all walks of life, right? And that is really going to speak to your retention. Now, when it comes to people of color, um, Utah right now, and I love uh, saying these stats to my friends back east, one in five Utahns identify as a person of color. Uh, Utah is second only to Washington, D.C. in terms of the millennial population that we have here. Uh, Utah has also been, the past several years, in, in the top three to four states in the country in terms of population growth. And one of the reasons that's leading to all of those statistics is we have a strong economy. Utah is known for our, our economic growth, right? We've got this growth here in the tech sector, financial services industry. Um, I mean, we're kind of, we're doing really well. And people, especially people of color, will move for economic opportunity. What determines retention is culture. Right. So with organizations in a state like Utah, um, it, it's their responsibility lies in driving that type of culture within their organization. But in addition to that, it's the culture in the community that matters as well. So you'll see people of color moving to Utah, you know, for economic opportunity, maybe three to four years down the road. They're like, mm, you know, they get a feel for the Utah culture. And, and for a lot of communities of color, it's a numbers game. Right. I mean, we want to live amongst other people who experience life like we do. Right. And so, you know, people go to Atlanta or L.A. or D.C. or New York, Chicago. Uh, so they come to a place like Utah. I'm like, eh, there's, there's not a lot of black people here. I don't know if there's enough Hispanic people, you know, but it is growing. And so recognizing that right as employers. Right. You got to drive culture internally. And then it's the external culture outside of your organizations that also matters big time for communities of color, people of color, Zions Bank is investing in both. My primary role here is to drive culture. And I feel like we've already begun to shift the needle in just the <laughs> short two months that I've been here. And not because, you know, I'm just this great, phenomenal person. And to your point that you mentioned earlier, Amy, you're talking about mm -hmm. oftentimes people will hire a, a mm -hmm. DEI leader and yep. then expect them to do all the work, yeah. which is they're, absolutely they're ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> it's <laughs> ridiculous. It's unfair. And it's short-sighted. The way Zion's Bank has done it, it, long before I stepped into the role, is established an infrastructure, right, that crosses all levels of the bank and giving people responsibilities and roles to lead out 
on DEI, right? Mm-hmm. From the executive team, the number one, Scott Anderson himself, yeah. all the way down to the bank tellers, right? The let me ask you a question. Let me, across let me jump in and Idaho ask you. And sorry. 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 Yes. I, I just really want to get this question in and I know, I know it's not a 30 second answer. And that is yeah. that I, I wonder, um, uh, as you're contemplating these kinds of changes though, what do you say to the coworkers you run into or the, or the, uh, the uh, executives that you work with that say, well, I just want to hire the best person. Um, I hear this a lot. It's the same, uh, mm-hmm. every, every place. Uh, I just want to hire the best person. I don't want to worry about what color they are, what their background is, what their ethnicity is. I just want to hire the best person. How does that impede what you're trying to do? Um, well, it, it really is education and a deeper mm-hmm. level of understanding. Um, mm-hmm. Because look, look, I look at individuals and like myself, right? When they hired me, they hired the best person. Mm-hmm. They really did. Uh, and that's not to blow up myself, right? Mm-hmm. But when you um, look at individuals who have had to like fight through barriers, right? Whether they be social, cultural, economic, or whatever, something inside of that individual uh, starts to develop, right? It's strength, it's resilience, it's fortitude, it's commitment, it's mm-hmm. belief in self. And that is a highly valuable skill and talent for any organization in any industry. But you might not so have, I, so you have no experience in finance. So why, you know what I mean? Like somebody else might look and say, look, she doesn't have a background in finance. So she's not the right, but that's person, not needed know, paper. That's not exactly. needed for this role. We, yeah. we have a whole host of people that have that area of expertise <laughs> at the <laughs> bank. What we don't have is people with my area of expertise. And that's mm-hmm. what's needed to create an inclusive culture, right? When we identify value in mm-hmm. different areas, bring all of that to the table, that is going to create a high performance organization. Um, one other piece I wanted to get to is the way that I've been envisioning the bank here. If you envision Zions Bank as a human body, right? The infrastructure that I was talking about earlier is the skeleton, right? That gives your DEI strategy shape and form, okay? The people that you recruit and engage to serve in these roles across the bank is the flesh of that body, right? And the third piece, I call it energy. And that's what I bring to the table. The energy is what gives. Yes, you do. It, it's the <laughs> lifeblood, right? I know I, I can be kind of animated um, here compared to some of my colleagues here at the bank, and it's probably because of the industry. But I'm shocked. But bring the energy, <laughs> right? I mean, uh, I, I have been as well. I think about implementing like live dance parties here at the bank, <laughs> and just to see how that blows over. But you know, yeah. people have been really receptive. You know, I feel mm-hmm. especially in the era of social distancing where we're not engaging in conversations or, 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 you know, get social gatherings with their colleagues like we used to, people are dying for energy, you know, Mm -hmm. but the energy is the lifeblood of that human body. Right. And without the lifeblood, you might as well be dead. Right. I mean, the, the, your strategy is just going to fall flat. So the lifeblood is the philosophy. It's the, the perspectives, it's the conversations that you're having. It's that custom designed uh, curriculum that is being delivered in a manner that's going to resonate with people at all levels from all backgrounds. And so there are a whole host. I wish we had time. I could share with you all of our programming. Well, we'll, have, you uh, back. We we'll have you back and I want to, to bring really this to life. Yes. Yes. I, I, yes. We yeah. have to bring it to life. 
Yes. Right. Are people yeah. dying to get into the and be a part of this stuff or are they being forced to do it? Because, uh, you know, looking at the environment across our country right now, if you don't do something DEI, mm-hmm. you will be shamed. Right. <laughs> in, in that cancel culture, which I'm not a fan of the cancel culture piece. No, we, cannot, we don't either. That's we why we started, we started right, the podcast. We started the podcast. We want everybody yes. to have a voice. Yeah. That's right. Totally. Well, we cannot hold people at fault if they are, are, are simply not exposed. And certainly it is our trying. responsibility to bring them along. Sui yes, Lang, exactly. Pinoke, uh, Senior Vice President of Diversity, Equity, Inclusion for Zions Bank. Listen, I, I told Amy when I when I brought her uh, brought you on that <laughs> your story is fascinating. You are fascinating. And thank you so much well, we for offering your insight on it. It's an honor to be here. Honor to be here. I appreciate you both. Join us again for the next episode of the Loudmouth Project's Voices of Reason. If you have any comments about the show, please contact us via email at voramed at gmail.com or at vorjasonl at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter at adonsports and at jasonlee1. Our show's Twitter handle is at vorpodcast. Check out our Facebook page, and you can also find and subscribe to free episodes of our podcast on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, or any of the places where you might find interesting content. Be sure to review our show as well. We love to get your feedback, and it helps us grow our audience. Until next time, I'm Jason Lee along with Amy Donaldson. When you engage in passionate debate, do your best to keep your dialogue civil. Try to be the voice of reason. Voices of Reason is a production of the Loudmouth Project. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.